the walls in here. Did you, have you, has anyone ever stopped to read those accounts? Quite a few of Each and every one of these people from different backgrounds are people who went for the gospel. They were scattered for the gospel. So this, I like this fellow over here, I'd like to admit Tommy Meadows, no relation apparently, who was Bermondsey born and bred, he was a rope maker's apprentice, not the most literate of guys, and he was reckoned to be C.H. Spurgeon's first student. It was a very ad hoc, informal, one-to-one relationship, but he trained him and equipped him as a pastor. And so Tommy Meadows went from Bermondsey, and he upset a few locals because they didn't think he could talk proper. Right, but he went from Bermondsey, he went to the sort of four corners of the United Kingdom, he went to Coleraine in Ireland, he went down to, I think it was down to Portsmouth on the south coast, somewhere up north he went as well, uh, preaching, pastoring and Baptist pastor, and his record, it's on there, he reckoned he personally baptised almost a thousand converts. Just a bloke from Bermondsey who Jesus took a hold of and sent, scattered him to the four corners of the United Kingdom. Stanley Brown over there, he come out a new cross, Stanley Brown. And there's, I think there's still people in this church who, who met him and, and encountered Stanley Brown. But he, he went to Nigeria, became an expert in uh, leprosy um, to such an extent he earned the nickname Mr. Leprosy. He ministered to people over there selflessly um, in that cause. Ada Salter, Alfred Salter's wife, I don't hear so much of his wife, but an equally powerful woman who came to Bermondsey to minister to this place and is exclusively uh, a rough working class community and became uh, uh, a member of the council and a mayor and, and made a massive impact on society around here, very practically as well as spiritually. Over there, the man himself, Mr. C.H. Spurgeon, who moved from rural Cambridgeshire to the mean streets of Southwark and became known as the Prince of Preachers. People still, I still read his work today. People still devour his servants today. A mighty man of God. Sent from rural Cambridgeshire in Victoria times to this place. Dr. Ian Sharp and his family over there went with a missionary organisation, the, the uh, Unevangelised Fields Mission, went to the Congo to minister there. A man of great medical skill, music, musician, he was a musician, he was uh, a great preacher and loved by all, took his family with him. And then there was a, an uprising in the Congo in the 60s, and him and his family, along with a lot of others, were massacred. Went for Jesus. He went for the gospel. And Bessie Brearley. Has anyone, anyone else read her book? I've read her, her books. Only a thin book. No wonder. I can lend you the copy. She's another Bermondsey girl. Rough background. Tough background. Her dad was a bit of a drinker and a bit abusive to them. We used to bash them up and that. She went to uh, the Snowsfield, to the Shaftesbury Mission building, become a Christian, and then went off and did formal missionary training and went to Africa. And then the phrase on, on, on the board there says, while the bombs were raining down on her beloved Bermondsey, 
she will see people convert to Christ in here. People, ordinary people, who God gets hold of and sends them on a mission to transform, scattered for Jesus. It's exciting, isn't it? Listen, that's us as well. That's you and me. Because God wants to scatter us and use us. I'm going to read um, in just a moment the words will come up on the screen behind me. The next passage we're looking at in the book of Acts. We're working, if you're not aware, we're working systematically through the the Acts of the Apostles, or some people call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because it's what the Holy Spirit does through people. And just highlight, I'm gonna not I'm not gonna highlight the whole passage. I'm gonna spend some time looking at a fellow called Philip. With those two main headings, he, he was pushed out and his life was torn out. So let's, let's read the passage from Acts chapter 8, verse 4. It says, But the believers who were scattered, if you remember last week, Claire Holson preached so well, didn't she, about the scattering of the believers. And she said it wasn't like a scattering which is my words, not hers, but it wasn't like the scattering of someone's ashes, where you scatter them and then they're gone. This was like the scattering of seed, which when it takes root, grows and bears much fruit. And the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralysed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. And it continues. A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time it astonished them with his magic. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptised. Then Simon himself believed and was baptised. He began following Philip wherever he went. And he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw the Spirit, saw that the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy the power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter replied, May your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be born. You can have no part of this, for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord 
Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts, for I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and held captive by sin. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things you have said won't happen to me. After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. Now there's a lot about Simon the Magician in that passage. I'm not actually going to spend much time looking at him at all. So I'd like to focus on Philip and what he did. See, when the Spirit of God filled those early followers of Jesus, they essentially all became missionaries, much like the guys we've seen around the walls in here. Henry Martin, who was an early Anglican missionary to India, he said this, the spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. The nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we become. It's like the closer we get to Jesus, the more likely we are to go. God is all about mission. God is all about us going. Whether it's going to our next door neighbour or whether it's going to the other side of the globe, it doesn't matter. God is about us going. We are missionaries. Tim Keller, in his book, Sent to Church, he said this. <clears throat> he said, the Trinity, the Trinity, which is the God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You got that? The three, the three, one. The Trinity is, by nature, sending. The Father sends the Son into the world to save it. And the Father and the Son send the Spirit into the world. And now, the Spirit is sending the church. In short, God does not merely send the church in mission. God already is in mission, and the church must join him. This also means then that the church does not simply have a missions department. It should wholly exist to be a mission. That's really challenging if you think about that. Because we put a lot of store by very important things in the life of the church, and Mission is just something we can tap on the side. Yeah, I know I've got to tell some people about Jesus, you know, whether it is my neighbour or the other side of the world. And there's lots of other important things going on. Of course there are. But the church exists for mission. We do all those other things to make us strong and mature and fit and healthy and kind and loving and generous and all this stuff because of the mission. There's a purpose to it. So like I said right at the beginning, there's two, two phases I'm going to look at. We are pushed out and poured out. First, pushed out. We're pushed out. The reason I chose the word pushed because it alliterates with poor. Scattered, this we read, we, we read last week. The believers who were scattered, pushed out, preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Persecution pushes these believers in the book of Acts out of Jerusalem out of their comfort zone. The scattering of the believers resulted in the gospel being scattered further and further. Warren Wiersbe, the author and theology professor, he said this, persecution does to the church what the wind does to sea. It scatters it and only produces a greater harvest. <laughs> 
Now, I'm not going to preach that we pray for persecution. But the point here is the church was scattered. The church were pushed out. They were having a good time in Jerusalem. Everything was going really good, actually. You only have to read those early chapters in the book of Acts. That they needed to be pushed out. They needed to go to fulfill prophecy, actually. At the beginning of chapter 8, we read that we read that all the believers except the apostles left Jerusalem. It was the ordinary people in the midst of severe persecution and hardship, having to leave homes and family and jobs and church and community. Everything that you put your you sort of hold dear, everything you put your trust in, everything that was good for you. And yet, persecution come and God scattered them. What's that about? I was having a really good time. The church is growing. The sick are being healed. Those apostles preaching fantastic sermons. You know, the sun is shining, ain't it? And God says, go. He scatters them. It must have been tough. And you could have excused them, you know, for not sharing the good news, as Claire put it so well. Last time, not preaching the gospel. As soon as you say they were preaching the gospel wherever they went, you think, well, I can't preach. Now, they weren't preaching three point sermons stood on a soapbox on a street corner of a city in Samaria or wherever it was. And so many of these people were just sharing the good news, what God has done for them, living the life. You see? You can, you can forgive them. But you're just, you've got to imagine, we see on our television screen so many times images of refugees who have fled their country because of persecution, because of war and trouble and strife and, and just the, 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 horrible, the horrible nature of the whole thing. Refugees with their possessions on their back, clutching their kids to them, going to a strange nation, having to set up home, initially in a refugee camp or some substandard housing, hoping upon hope to get some get some work and just to get established, get the kids in school and all the stuff. You've seen it, haven't you? Not even enough food sometimes, scrapping around for something to drink, you know, they just need a glass of water. All of that. Now imagine all that. And wherever they went, they shared the good news. Wherever they went, they shared the good news. What a challenge to us, isn't it? Because you can think, oh, lots of logical reasons we get, I'll get established first. I've got to get the kids sorted, you know? And I've got to go and get some food. And we need shelter, even a tarpaulin over the way. I've got to go and get one. Once we get established, then I'll begin to start sharing with people. That doesn't seem to be the case. Whatever they want, wherever they want, they're proclaiming, they're preaching, they're sharing. They were on a mission, pushed out by persecution, but proclaiming the Christ wherever they went, living it and telling it. But you know what? We have also been pushed out from somewhere. Pretty much everyone here, I would say, look, can you put your hand up if you was born in this area and you still lived in this area? Right, so how many is this? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. About 13, thank you. As a percentage of our church, that is significantly less than 10%. You 
You come from somewhere else. Where, so where have you come from? Who's, who, who's come, come to Bermondsey from somewhere else? Where have you come from? South Africa. He's come a long way to the centre of the universe, hasn't he? Where have you come from? Hackney. I've heard about that place. <laughs> Just in case you didn't know, Hackney is the other side of the River Thames. <laughs> God is gracious to you. Where are you from? Whereabouts? I said, I can't understand. That's from Liverpool. Anyone else down here? Who's that? Where, where is Green? Oh, lots of hands around. We'll work our way around this little gang over here. So there? Sheffield. Sheffield. I've heard of that place. We're going to work around to you last. Staffordshire. Where's that? Let's go watch her. Uh, and where are you from, sir? Peckham. So you come. <laughs> so you cross. You cross that other great divide, the old Peck Road. <laughs> where is it? A couple more, right? Kenya. From Kenya, <laughs> East Africa. That's the sort of posh Africa, right? That's a way to divide your audience. Sorry. <laughs> Albania. Yes, well done. We'll have a couple more right over the back. Nigeria. Nigeria. You've got your supporters in as well. Up there. Brazil. Yes. I didn't cheer too loud because they're still picking football. <laughs> Say it now. Tanzania. There's one over there as well. Go on, science too. Australia. Well, one. Oh, sorry, darling. Where from? Peru. Fantastic. Peru, Peru played well, didn't they? Okay. <laughs> Not well enough. Well, now everyone wants to join in this now, but it's still all be printed time. Nottingham. Nottingham. That famous town of lace and Robin Hood. Right. <laughs> but can you, I made my point quite. It's true, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, thank you. Well, yeah. I'm sure it's going to be well. Um, I know my subject history as well. But my point is, we've come from all over. We've been scattered from wherever we were to here. So we're a scattered the good news of Jesus, wherever we go. That is my long-winded route to that point. <laughs> Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I love that imagery, don't you? He said, the fish then become fishermen in turn. But he didn't make us keepers of an aquarium. Right? The church as a community is important, but always we must be reaching out and looking out because we've been pushed out. And if God is pushing you out, it's with a missional purpose. So God pushes us out, but he also <coughs> pours us out. We are poured out. I put in brackets with my notes, with a sacrificial compassion. What do I mean by that? Numerous times through the Old Testament, we read of the offerings the Jewish people made to God. And some of those offerings were poured out. Literally, as an offering to God. They poured out the blood of animals. They poured out water as an offering. They poured out 
wine as an offering. Jesus in the New Testament talked about his own blood poured out as a sacrifice for many. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about us being poured out. It's as a sacrifice. The Bible talks about it as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That's my spiritual act of worship. That's what we're, we're poured out daily. We're poured out for him every day of, of, of our lives. And then Philip comes into the account. Philip comes into the story. Philip, who was like Stephen, if you remember a sermon a few weeks back, was one of the seven called by God to help those the Greek-speaking widows in the church. Uh, women who are in need to, to help distribute food for them and make sure they were looked after. And when the persecution broke out and the church scattered, leaving the apostles behind, Philip travelled the 40-odd miles north to Samaria. Samaria was literally the neighbour. Do you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Jesus told that story in response to, who's my neighbour? Very controversial, he said. The Samaritans, your neighbour. Do you know why it's controversial? Because they hate each other. <laughs> that the Samaritans and the, and the Jews, they hate each other. To such an extent that the religious leaders taught that it was wrong to have any contact with them. They shouldn't even go into each other's territories. Jews weren't to eat with Samaritans. They weren't to associate with them or even drink from the same cup as them. They're hurting people. They're us. They're not the same. We don't want anything to do with them. So can you see the, the, the controversy? Now, when Jesus deliberately told the story about the Samaritan on that, you know, in that story, the Good Samaritan, and if you know the story in, in John chapter 4, where he stops at a well to get a drink, and he quite explicitly says it was a Samaritan one. He, the culture and the tradition was you don't even share a cup with them them. And yet Jesus did. It's not a mistake, is it? It's a lesson for us. So Philip went to the city in Samaria proclaiming a message of good news. And people responded. It says in verse 12 of the passage we read, the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, men, men and women were baptised. The people responded not just to his words, because he was proclaiming it, but also to his actions. But he also addressed deep spiritual needs. In fact, we, we heard the story of demons screaming and leaving people as Philip proclaimed the Christ. I mean, there's supernatural stuff going on. Demons fleeing. He met physical needs. People were physically healed as he proclaimed the good news. Because this is, this is holistic and it's the whole thing. It's like, I'm going to speak good news, I'm going to proclaim good news as you're healed in the body, I'm going to proclaim good, good news as demons flee, you're healed in, in that way. And the other thing that proclaims the gospel so effectively as Philip is in Samaria is he was breaking down the barriers of culture. I can't stress the difference. If we just read this stuff, yeah, you went to Samaria and preached the gospel. This was like 
They're the baddies. They're the enemy. We don't like them people. Well, we want to tell them about Jesus. And yet Philip's gone there. And he's proclaimed it. And they're responding to the good news. Right? It, it was almost, it's, like a, it's like a separation, almost an apartheid. And Philip was having none of it. He was going to go and give those hated neighbours the best gift that he could. He was going to give them the gift of Jesus Christ, of freedom and forgiveness from sin and reconciliation with God. It's for all people, not a select few. It's for our enemies. So tough, that, ain't it? Now, Philip was obviously a Jew as well, an ex-Jew, you could argue. Um, there must have been some um, racial reconciliation going on for him too. He's got to address this stuff because these things are so deep in us, aren't they? They're so deep-seated, it's just what we grow up with and generations have grown up with. We hate them Samaritans. They're horrible. They smell. They eat funny food. They're different from us. That's just in them, right? So Philip has gone down there and he's proclaiming the, the Christ to them. It must have been a challenge for him. But what powerful witness. And if you switch it around, those Samaritans say, is that Philip from Jerusalem? He's actually all right. No, he's really nice. Have you heard what he said? And my name got healed. She was lame and she could walk now. They're not so bad then, you know. And word's got round. Word has got round that city. What a powerful witness. But let me just say, here at City Hope, we've come a long way with our class and cultural diversity. And I would go as far as to say, as a church... We are pioneers in that area. And I've preached in lots of churches around the nation, around the nations actually over the years. I've never quite encountered a church, I've never quite encountered a church as happily diverse as we are. Right? Who, which is great, isn't it? By the grace of God. Yeah. But let's continue to allow the gospel to encourage us. Allow the gospel to encourage us to give up our rights to eat and talk with only people we're comfortable with. Right? The gospel breaks down barriers that make people friends because otherwise hate each other. And that's what was happening in Samaria. So we have to keep working at it. Let's not rest on our laurels with it. We, to, we, I heard somebody recently just say we need to stretch, right? To be prepared to forgive each other's cultural mishaps, right? Understand a little bit. They, they don't need it. I know they said it or did it. You know, when, when they didn't offer you a free course meal the moment you walked in their house, they weren't insulting you. They didn't mean to do that. I know it might be in your country. That's, do, you, do you understand what I'm saying? It's because we're all one. We're all one new man in Christ. Let's stretch a little bit. Let's understand. Let's forgive. Let's accept. Let's teach one another. Let's work at it. And as we do that, we will speak the gospel <coughs> to the communities around us. Because nowhere else will you see this. Governments want to want to make it happen, and they can't. This is not going to happen outside of Jesus Christ. Just to say, mission is messy. Mission is messy. It takes sacrifice and time and energy and resources and lack of sleep and 
all the rest of it, sleeping in a room, a bedroom that isn't yours, and on the floor of some flat in Uzbekistan. Sorry, I'm reflecting back to where I am. <laughs> Mission is made. Imagine Philip, right? So Philip, he had a nice, quiet ministry. You know, he was selected by his fellow believers. He's a good man. He's a, he's a good man of God. He can, now he's got his little ministry of serving a very niche part of the church, the Greek-speaking widows that were poor. That doesn't so he helped them. That's a nice ministry to have. It's going good. The church in Jerusalem is going really good. And now suddenly he's in he's in a foreign land of his hating people, and there's demons shrieking, and there's all this going on. You think I want to go back to my little ministry? That's easy, right? But no, because he's poured himself out. He's poured himself out for the people there. And what was the result of him pouring himself out? I'll tell you what it was: great joy in that city. Great joy. What does great joy in a city look like? I don't know if I want some. I want great joy to, to transform the Lucy Wise state. I want great joy to sweep down the blue. I want great joy to affect the communities you live in and work in. Don't you? Yes. Well, let's be poured out. Let's be poured out for Jesus. Let's proclaim his greatness and not ours. I was going to make some comments about Simon the Magician. Don't read this passage again. He was dumb to the great power of God. Right? And then until Jesus turned up, until Philip came and proclaimed him. But he did become a Christian, and I think he gets a bit of bad press by some of the commentators, you know. The Bible's quite clear. I mean, you've got to read it as plain. He, he became a Christian, and he was baptised. Right, so he must be, he might have got some things wrong, something quite bad you want, be rebuked and told to repent. But his motivation could easily be ours. You know, I, you've seen all that stuff. Wow, look at the demons go, look at the sick field. I want to do that. How much? He didn't know. He's a new convert. He said, I'll buy it out of here. But he needed a rebuke and he needed a direction. But you know what? Sometimes I think this is myself. I could be like that. Simon. I can. I, I, can't, I, want, I like the. I like the crowds. I like the the accolade. I like the attention. It's nice. Am I the only one? I want. It, I want to be accepted. I want to be liked. I want it to be good. And that can be a challenge to us as we're proclaiming the good news to our enemies. So Jesus, make me more like Philip, less like Simon. Somebody said. I read. Somebody said it. He said when God puts a, a tape measure around our head. And then round our heart, let our heart be bigger. I don't want to be a big head. I want a big heart. Yeah? Listen, I'm, the time is running away. I'm going to draw to a close. How big is your heart? Jesus, make our hearts bigger. As we go to our enemies, as we go to those who don't like you and don't know you. And start with me. I'm going to be willing to be to be pushed up, and that means my reputation, that means my time, that means my resources, and only if we're willing to be scattered will there be joy in the city. If we lock ourselves in these four walls, and I know it's hot, it's not going to happen, is it? 
William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, said, The greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. It's not even in us to surrender, is it? I fight to be saved. Surrender to Jesus. We can fight for other people. Surrender our rights. The rights to use our own energy for our own benefit and our own time and our own resources for ourselves. If we are poured out as a sacrifice, things will change. Jesus wasn't pushed out of his comfort zone. He willingly left it. He was in the place of perfection, wasn't he, in heaven? And he left it not to be the top of the pile, the top of the ladder. He left it because it deserved to be nothing. Called him the suffering servant, didn't he? Eventually dying on a cross, a sacrifice. He was poured out for us, giving us, giving up everything for us. So great joy could fill our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. That's what we saw with those four people who went through that water of baptism. They saw, we saw a response to a Jesus who was poured out, who paid the price for our sin. By giving up his power and serving, Jesus became the most influential man of ever lived. He didn't try to buy greatness like Simon, that he shed his blood to buy us so we could receive the free gift of grace. The free gift of grace. Do you see that we are to go on a mission because Jesus went on a mission for us? Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you so much that I'm a Christian. That you you came to me an enemy and you rescued me by pouring out your blood. And many of us can say amen to that. And I pray that you use us because you, a missionary God, came to us that we can go on a mission to win souls for Jesus. To be your hands and your feet and your voice. To be, to be those who bring love and joy and peace and patience to those around us. Please be with us. And even today, let us be thinking about who we are in Christ and what you can do. I pray that for Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, time has escaped us. It was worth, worth it for those four adaptations, though, weren't it? Please, as you pick up your children, say thank you.